Hi, everyone. So glad you're joining us today. Welcome to the podcast and thank you for listening. Today, I'm talking with Dan Rausch. Dan is a fisheries and wildlife biologist at Washington, D.C.'s Department of Energy and Environment. If you love or if you even like wildlife, then you should love a wildlife biologist too. Dan does a lot of really interesting and important work on behalf of the citizens of the District of Columbia, which I'm one, but also on behalf of the diverse wildlife that make Washington, D.C. their home. Many in the D.C. area and beyond actually first learn about Dan because he's often in the news, whether he's helping bald eagles, snowy owls, turkeys, or helping residents, D.C. residents, coexist with wildlife. Dan loves what he does. In a city of over 700,000 residents, and that it does not include the additional hundreds of thousands that come to work in D.C. every day, There are thousands of wild animals and very highly developed land, so Dan has a big job as a wildlife biologist in Washington, D.C. If you're listening for the first time today or for the first time in a while, here's a little bit about me. I'm Carolyn Copper, Ph.D. psychologist, retired government executive, and now professional photographer and certified wildlife professional. I've been busy. Let's welcome Dan next. Dan's recording this podcast episode from his outdoor office, so if you like the sounds of nature, you get an extra treat today. Welcome, Dan. Tell us about yourself. Hey, Carolyn. Uh, This is Dan Rauch, uh, and I am a wildlife biologist with the District of Columbia, Department of Energy and Environment, um, where I've been just kind of taking care, uh, inventory, and monitoring the feathered denizens of the district for the last 13 years. Um, I was not always a wild biologist, but I was kind of inspired to get there by the way I grew up. I grew up right outside of DC in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. At that point, it was a tobacco farm back in the 70s. Um, My grandfather was a chemist and a naturalist, and uh, so was my mother. And they kind of, all those days out on the farm, not just the animals we had, but uh, the wildlife. Just it was just you know the the red-headed woodpeckers, and uh, I just remember just all these birds all the time on our farm. And um, I didn't really know it at the time, but that was kind of always churning underneath. So then I went out and I went to I went to business school. Um, I did other jobs, but then in the very end, I knew that something was wrong. I used to quit my jobs and I would move out and spend the summer in Wyoming or Montana and then come back and, and start again. Um, so finally, uh, I knew I knew I had to do something different. Uh, I knew that I wasn't doing, I don't think, what I was, was meant to do or really felt being fulfilled. And I became a, I went back to school and I got an environmental science and policy degree and became a wildlife biologist, which was probably the the best decision I ever made, or at least one of them. And um, so I've been out there for more than um, 20 years now as a biologist and uh, in the district for the last 13. Dan, I love how you brought the outdoor sounds into this podcast episode. It sounds terrific. Thank you so much. So you said something um, in in this first question here. I knew I wasn't doing what I was meant to do. 
I meet a lot of people who have had that experience. And so I really want to congratulate you on on eventually um, finding what you wanted to do, getting to the place where you felt like you are doing what you were meant to do. That's terrific. Wildlife biologists uh, work throughout a variety of settings and organizations, and um, in particular, many serve in local, state, and federal government. So Dan, what's the role of wildlife biologists in the District of Columbia? Well, the wildlife biologist in the district plays a very similar role as what would be as the, you know, the state agents. So, you know, Maryland has the Department of Natural Resources. Virginia has um, their fish and game. And we kind of fulfill that role for the district. Um, We do all what uh, we work off of our state wildlife action plan, which is our, our guidance document, which all states and territories and the district have put together. And we use that to kind of facilitate our roles and to keep our our common birds common and protect those and recruit back some of those we might have lost. So it's um, then those are considered our our species of greatest conservation need. So that's kind of our focus. We go out there. We want to inventory what we have. We monitor what we have to keep those populations up. And then we have all these conservation actions. Um, You know, it might be regulations. Habitat conservation or restoration, um, stormwater management, all these other um, actions we can take in order to protect the natural heritage, the species we have in the district. And I fulfill that role basically um, for our avifauna, for our feathered friends. When I visit the district's Department of Energy and the Environment's uh, website and they have a nice description of what a wildlife action plan is, and um, its purpose is to protect threatened species and keep habitats healthy. Uh, these action plans, wildlife action plans, serve as a blueprint for wildlife conservation. And the district's plan is one of 56 um, state wildlife action plans throughout the country, and they form a national network to prevent wildlife from becoming endangered. And so some folks may know that Dan has a personal Facebook page, and I'm going to have links to a lot of the things we're talking about in today's podcast on my website blog, including Dan's uh, personal Facebook page, if you want to check him out. But sometimes he posts pictures of him um, out in the field and doing his inventories. And a lot of that work is directly related to what um, he does as a wildlife biologist um, in counting and inventorying species and um, monitoring their status. So that's a pretty cool part of the job, if you ask me. So Dan, next question, what excites you about being a wildlife biologist? I love being a wildlife biologist. Um, I figured we could do this outdoors, uh, which is my office. I, I have the most amazing office in the district. I am always someplace different. I am, um, you know, there's so many different habitats in DC. You know, I could be out on the river one day. I could be deep in the forest on another. I could be looking at a shoreline um, and a tidal marsh, uh, um, a nice meadow. Um, I am all over the place. And you can hear kind of some of the sounds of my office in the background too. Um, there are white-breasted nuthatches over on the corner. Uh, there's a northern flicker. Uh, it, this is a fantastic time of year because, you know, migrations are great. You have all these different species moving back and forth and moving through. It's really exciting. 
but this is the getting towards the end of the breeding season and there are fledglings everywhere. And there was a northern flicker that was here just a second ago. It was a young one and instead of, it was just starting to pick up the ability to try to imitate the adult calls and it sounded really funny. It's just really amusing. But um, what excites me is it's always something different. I go out really early in the morning, out at sunrise, and I kind of have a plan of my, what my day is going to be. I know what my surveys are or what um, issue I'm looking at, what habitat I'm interested in that day. Um, but I never know what I'm going to run into. I never know what I'm going to find. Is it going to be a species that I didn't know that was not breeding there? Um, is this going to be a migratory route um, that's got uh, uh, you know different species going through it? We didn't know we are using this section. Um, it's 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 great to know that you know even though my day is somewhat planned um it's i always learn something every day i always see something different i always see a bird different bird behavior um a different aspect of maybe of, the, of that different species that i didn't know before so it's it's just it's always something different even when it's you know approaching 100 degrees in the district 100 percent humidity and i'm crawling through some marsh somewhere um or I'm standing on a bridge, you know, it's up 20 degrees and I'm counting ducks up there for 15, 20 minutes, uh, freezing. It is still, that's, that's where I would rather be. That's great. A lot of people don't really, um, know or have an appreciation for the diversity of, um, habitats and natural areas and wildlife in the district of Columbia. We tend to think of it as the government place and it really is the government place and so many other things. Um, but there's a lot of really beautiful natural areas with a lot of beautiful native uh, wildlife and flora, fauna, you name it, that there is to see. So, Dan, it's so great to hear your excitement and energy about what the District of Columbia has to offer and what's there to protect and conserve. Switching gears a little bit to colder temperatures on this past winter, winter 2022, the district was visited by a snowy owl who took up residence near Union Station, which is a very busy part of the city. Um, photographers began documenting that she, we do know it was a she, was eating rats in the area, which, you know, is great. We always think it's great when raptors eat rats, except there were a lot of concerns about the use of uh, rat poison or rodenticide in that area. You got involved in addressing those concerns. You know, can you walk us through what happened and how the district responded? It's amazing enough to have a to see a snowy owl this far south, um, but to have one show up in such a visible place, such a public area, almost by you, you know, you could almost set your clock to it when that that owl would arrive, and to be out there and to be able to share that experience with, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, sometimes a hundred people out there, that was just amazing. But with all those folks out there taking interest in that, um, seeing such an amazing site in the district, yeah, there were, you know, you'll notice there's a, a lot of rats out there, which the owl was coming down and grabbing rats right in front of everyone to their enjoyment. But also, you know, people were very concerned about that. So um, that, that park is National Park Service property. It took a little runaround because this was in the middle of COVID, but... Um, you know, I had to get a hold of someone to get uh, some more information to try to find someone who, um, you know, no one was in their office anymore and was kind of an immediate issue. Um, so phone numbers didn't always work, uh, but we were able to kind of connect um, through a friend of mine on 
actually a coworker through a an online web web group. MPS was very responsive. Uh, they immediately switched over from a um, uh, coagulant rodenticide uh, bait that might uh, be in the rats to a targeted CO2 uh, non-toxic system um, trap that would not impact the snowy owl, and they would do that. Uh, might not be as effective during that time period, but, but it was really to, to protect that owl while it was using um, the rats as their food source, and then um, they could resume back to regular operations once the snowy left. So it really it does take a village um, because uh, we work in such tight proximity in the district with so many jurisdictions, um, state and federal and private, um, and then with residents. Uh, we kind of really have to work together uh, to have the most successful uh, management solutions. I know there was a lot of relief around when uh, we got the word through the news that the um, the switch had been made to the rodenticide that was being used down there. I went down there and photographed the snowy a couple times. So if you haven't seen my photos, please head over to my website. Those folks who are listening and take a look at some of the amazing photographs from the snowy owl that visited us this past winter. And Dan, I'm not sure a lot of people know that that part of Union Station, that area, was man is managed by the National Park Service, so that is good to know as well. But thank you for your fast and swift, uh, dedicated work to take those actions that I know were so important, probably in 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 protecting and not probably, but for sure, were important in protecting that snowy owl's health um, because she was very successful at hunting rats in that area, which were very plentiful, I say, unfortunately. Is it unfortunate? But yeah, I think we would prefer not to see rats in our city, but um, if they're going to be there, I guess we are benefiting when we see these uh, wild birds show up, our wild raptors, and try to clean up uh, clean up our city a bit. And um Shifting gears again, what have you learned from being in this field that you think other people should know? What I've learned from being an urban wildlife biologist is just really how amazing, how dynamic and diverse the wildlife is in in an urban area. Um, When I first took this position, I really didn't know exactly what I would be dealing with. Um, Would it be nuisance species? Would it be just, you know, a couple dozen um, bird species which are struggling to survive in you know a pretty dense environment but it was it was none of that it was like I was amazed at just how many species can make their habitats in in the district and well it also speaks to the way the district is that we have you know more than 20 percent green space we've got this great canopy we've got such a variety of habitats but it's also um, more I learn about just how resilient birds are and how they're kind of adapting to dealing with us. You know, bald eagles have moved back into these urban areas, which would not um, have been here, you know, for for decades because they just weren't dealing with disturbance very well. So a lot of those species are learning kind of how to deal with us and move back in um, to our area and trying to deal and, and, and figure out how to, to thrive in our world now. Those are terrific insights, Dan. And um, I have to agree with you. I think 
you know, we we live Washington D.C. The District of Columbia is a highly urbanized um, city, but it also has an incredibly high wildlife diversity. There are hundreds of species in the District of Columbia, due in large part to the green space that we do have and the canopy that we do have. You know, it's interesting. You know, I live in the District of Columbia. Years ago, when um, we were just out in our yard, I decided to sort of count the bird species that were in my yard because I couldn't, I was really stunned at just the birds that were out there. And I think, and this is probably four or five years ago, I probably counted 50 uh, species of birds that were in my yard at any given time throughout the year. And this includes, um, I've had bald eagles fly over my house. This includes uh, barred owls, um, Wrapped other raptors, including Cooper's hawks and red shoulders hawks and red tailed hawks, and y- you name it. And you know that doesn't even include the mammals that come through my yard, which um, which I photographed and many people can see on my website. So yeah, it's um, that's that's a great. Those are great insights, Dan, uh, about um, the diverse wildlife that we have in a city and some in some other urban areas also have similar things. So great. Um, we're coming up on our last couple questions. So next, what are some common things that people struggle with in your field? Uh, most wildlife biologists are out in more, uh, suburban or rural areas. You could be, you know, studying pronghorn, um, in the middle of Wyoming. Um, I did brewer sparrow work, um, on the Wyoming, uh, Montana border, uh, you know, I was miles and miles and miles away from anybody. And that's kind of what a lot of that can do. Um, being an urban biologist is a little different. Um, we are both usually dealing with species that, that need conservation, that are experiencing some sort of decline due to um, a, a multitude of factors. Um, but it's uh, actually, um, there are similar also in, in use. Uh, this is the different type. So if I'm, I'm looking at brewer sparrows out in Montana um, on BLM lands, it's like, you know, they're also being used for, for grazing for cattle. And how do we adjust that so we can meet the human needs as well as the needs of those, those species in order to keep them there? It's kind of similar, just in a more compact area um, and different types of, of, of human use. We're talking about like recreation, hiking, uh, development plays a big role in the district. Um, the way we want to use the, our, our limited land resources, the, the, the birds are, are competing for the same thing. Um, they need the, a lot of our species need these riparian corridors. They need this waterfront property. Um, they need this you know, uh, dense woodland away from the edges in order to, to do well, some of these enforced interior species. But those are also places that, that we want to be hiking. We want to be biking through. Um, maybe they're places that we want to have uh, a build in a new house or apartment building that has that kind of view. So it's, it's really, um, it's a balancing act, making sure we can meet the needs of, of our human residents and visitors and the businesses that are here, as well as um, make sure that the, the species that reside here or the ones that we want to re- bring back have the habitat, have those breeding opportunities, have those, those the, the ability to, to nest successfully or to still use the district as a migration corridor. And that's kind of an ongoing system as we try to figure that out. Uh, a big part of what I do is try to you know mitigate some of these, these human-wildlife conflicts 
you know, we've had Cooper's Hawks fly, chase pigeons down, and travel through the metro uh, the metro system. Um, you know, we have osprey that will nest in cranes. We had a mallard duck, um, you know, decide to uh, nest um, in the middle of the construction of a traffic circle um, this year. Um, a lot of times we have um, kestrels will nest in little uh, alcoves or holes in some of these older buildings, and vultures will do the same thing. And, of course, those are being cleared out or being redone for construction, and they, that can slow the system down as well. So we just, you know, there's a, a lot of this this wildlife-human conflict, or at least in the same areas. But then we, you know, we talked about the snowy owl. That was also a very urban area. Um, you can get more obvious than that to have a giant white bird sitting on top of the, the main statue out front and catching rats right in front of you. Um, but as you see, it can work. It can work in, in a lot of ways. So, right. Every species has its needs, our human species and our wild species. And so it's a balancing act. It's trying to, that's the struggle. And the challenge is the balancing act between um, the species needs. But I love what you said about um, it can work and it, and it can work. And you previously talked about, you know, what you've seen, the resilience of birds. And you've seen how birds have um, gone into habitats that may be not optimal from another perspective, maybe there's a lot of people around, maybe there's a lot of noises around. The snowy owl is probably a great example. And the birds are still there and staying there and eating and appearing to thrive and doing well and making it for however long their stay is in the district. So so it can work. I would agree with you, Dan. So Dan, hard question. I know. Do you have a favorite species? Do I have a favorite species? That is a question I get all the time. And it's like picking a favorite child. Um, you know, with over 900 species in North America, it's really hard to, to pick just one. They're all so different. They all, um, they build different nests. You know, they have different migration routes. If they're, if, you know, some are long distance migrants. They, some of them stick around. They have different breeding behaviors. Um, I cannot pick one. There are a few that stand out that are really cool. The snowy owl, of course. I mean, just like, you know, uh, just to see that giant white bird um, flying through, just silently gliding through the night. Um, bald eagles never get old for me. Um, I'd like to see more golden eagles uh, if I get a chance to do that. Um, the eastern kingbird is one that stands out. You know, it's it's loud. It tells you who it is. It has this really cool wing flutter when it flies. It is also lives up to its scientific name, Tyrannus Tyrannus. It doesn't back down from anyone. I've seen a kingbird take on an eagle one minute and then switch over and attack an osprey on the next. Um, golden crown kinglets, ruby crown kinglets. How they're so small. They're the size of a hummingbird, and they're here for, uh, during our winter. Uh, it's still able to survive. Um, so there, there's so many different aspects to each species. There are, to me, they're all so different. It's, it's, it's hard to pick one. Um, I get it. I know that's a really hard question. Some people like to be asked that question, but I actually, I love your answer, Dan. You had a lot of interesting perspectives on why some things may rise to the top of your list of interesting species. Um, and the bald eagles. So yeah, we have a nesting pair of bald eagles at the National Arboretum in Northeast Washington, D.C. And Dan has been in the news periodically about that. 
Um, and th- that's a very exciting um, occurrence for that pair of nesting bald eagles. And so I would encourage folks um, take a look at my uh, website blog, which is going to have um, a short summary of this podcast that I did with Dan. And I have some resources on that in that blog, you know, links to some of the, to many of the news stories that Dan has been in and to some other resources on the um, District of Columbia's Department of Energy and the Environment. Dan, this is our last question. Where can listeners learn more about you and the District of Columbia's wildlife? If you want to find out more about what we do, you can always go online to the DOEE website and look at our state wildlife action plan. That's our, our guidance documents, and it shows you like our species of greatest conservation need and all the different actions we take to preserve those and to maintain those and recruit those back, protect their habitats. All of our um, research projects uh, that we do on National Park proper are filed with the National Park Service. You can get a hold of those. And we do annual reports to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as well, and those are all available. But if you really want to see what we're doing, get out. Get outside. Kayak on the Anacostia River. You know, hike through Rock Creek Park. Go fishing on the Potomac Gorge. Um, you'll see what we have been doing, working with partners, all the different restoration projects, removal of invasive species, the planting of native species, goose and deer management, uh, propagation of wild rice, protecting and restoring a lot of our marsh. So if you're really out there and you should even notice what we're doing if we're doing it really well. Instead, you should see all the diversity of wildlife, the high-quality habitat. So if we're really out there and we're doing our job, you won't even know we're there. I would second that part about getting out there. That's great advice, Dan. Hey, and the wild rice propagation, I came across that on, I, I think, on the DOEE website. I was really interested in that. So who knew you could grow wild rice or wild rice was growing in the District of Columbia? And I think if I remember reading it right, it was related to um, helping to provide some habitat for uh, one of the birds that you're focusing on conserving um, the Sora. I think that's what I read. But anyway, they are growing propagating wild rice in the District of Columbia. So I'm thank you, Dan, so much for joining the podcast today. For listeners, you can find Dan Rausch on Facebook, and you can also learn more about the District of Columbia's Department of Energy and the Environment at doee.dc.gov. And I mentioned pr- before, I have several links on my blog to the resources and information on the topics discussed today. So remember to stop by my website, www.copperrangellc.com, to view my images, read the free blog, and download free podcasts like this one. And see where you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening today. Have a great day.